0: to a, another episode of theology doesn't suck where our hope is that theology doesn't suck and if it does as always you can blame my co-host marty frederick but never me i'm josh patterson and my theology doesn't suck but marty perhaps maybe what do you think marty how's that for I disagree. An intro? disagree. <laughs> you disagree uh, that's not a, a yeah. pretty good response
1: i disagree that my theology oh. uh is wor- I mean I'm just me so
0: okay you know, I got I'm you. just
1: I'm just my own person <laughs> Yeah but my theology is based on the Bible and my theology is based on reading the scripture uh oh. and you know just following what Jesus did so hopefully my theology of Jesus uh can stand strong against the devil's schemes as it says in Ephesians Nice
0: so. Look at you you're even quoting the Bible That's impressive <laughs> I didn't even use scripture to tear you down and then you just no. come back like with such loving response using the Bible to build other people up. Maybe it's my theology that sucks, Marty.
1: I don't know. I think we're on a podcast that theology doesn't suck. And so uh, the idea for me is, you know, it, it can't if we focus on Jesus. And that's just always been my opinion. And I think uh, you'd agree with that. So, um, and, and and it's actually a good thing. You're lucky that I didn't give you a cold response because here it's very cold and it snowed here. Uh, we have like three or four inches of snow that we got overnight. And so, like, I went to bed last night after doing some yard work in the yard on Sunday afternoon and. Like, you know, helping my my dad out in the garage with different things. get we we cleared out garages, so we could pull cars in the garages. Usually, garages get dirty over the the summer, and you like you, you leave your car outside. Um just you know, I'll just leave it out here for the night. Then before you know it, everything gets put in the garage. So we, <laughs> we spent the the last couple of days clearing out the garages so we could pull in and, you know, you know, get out of whenever that snow might come and pulled in the garage last night, went to bed, and woke up, and was so grateful when I drove my son Liam to school, I didn't have to scrape off my car at all. I just pulled right out. It's a very new thing. (laughs) Nice.
0: Nice. Yeah, that's good, dude. There's there's no snow right here right now, but apparently we're supposed to get some tomorrow. Um, Mm. But I don't have a garage, and so I'm going to have to deal with the scraping.
1: You know they make these special little things you can put on your window. It's like on the out. So you know how they those sun visors that go on the inside.
0: Yeah. But they
1: have ones that you put on the outside, and it covers your window, oh, like that's... your your front window, so that when you when it snows, you just take that and you just pull it off the car, and then it just takes all the snow with it.
0: Okay. Nice. So I guess
1: you could really do that with anything. Yeah, that like works. You- you don't, was... you, don't, you don't you don't you don't have to use like the special one that like they sell made on tv you could just get like anything and put it on your window and do that
0: that's true like a tarp but yeah. i was i was thinking my solution would be just to stay home and not go anywhere if it snows that's
1: a really great great solution too for yeah, some people
0: like i won't go to work <laughs> um you know they'll wonder like why is josh not here on sundays my <laughs> students will be confused but like I'll just be like, yeah, bro, it's snowing on the ground, so I can't come.
1: You know, I, I know we're trying to get to our interview, but I, I will say that my dad, my dad's a chiropractor, and he actually has an employee that's worked for him for over like 35 years. Wow. And uh, like, she is amazing. She's really good. And uh, she is one of those people. Like today, I guarantee you, she did not go to work. Um, like it snowed, and if, if it's going to snow, if there's a threat of snow, she's not coming. If. <laughs> If, like, if for somehow or some reason she missed that it was supposed to snow and she comes to work and, like, halfway through the day the snow's supposed to start, she will go home. And she doesn't have to ask permission. She doesn't have to, like, say, hey, I really think I should go home because she just she just packs her stuff up. And, like, I, when I worked for him a couple of years ago, I remember hearing her just say, nope, 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 because she's, like, putting <laughs> her things away. And then she'd get in her car and she'd drive home and no one's like, where's – where – where – where – I can't believe she went home, and, it, and I was like, oh, no, that's what she does. When it snows, she's gone, and that's, I guess that's the tenure you get when you worked for someone you know, reliably for 35 years, you know? Yeah, that's so.
0: true. That's cool. I haven't even been alive for 35 years.
1: <laughs> I just barely have.
0: So. <laughs> Sweet. Awesome. Well, I guess probably what we should do is, is not waste time talking about snow, because um, <laughs> we have a pretty cool guest uh, with us today. Um, we have, uh, with us today, Keith Giles, Keith, correct me if I said your last name wrong, um, uh, no, but no, how's no, it going? Right. I got yeah. it right? You got it right. Boom. Roasted. All right. So with <laughs> us today is, is Keith, uh, Keith Giles. And so Keith, how's it going, man? Oh, uh, it's, thank you so much, guys.
2: Uh, I'm doing great. I, I just moved about a year, well, about a month ago, um, from Idaho, Boise, Idaho, where it, it did snow. And now I live in El Paso, Texas, where it's a little warmer. It does still snow once in a while, but uh, nowhere near the kind of snow, like, you know, shoveling shoveling your driveway and all that kind of
0: stuff. Yeah, nothing like that.
2: <laughs> nice.
0: That's good. Mar- so Marty and I, just background on us, we met each other working uh, at a church together in South Florida. Uh, Marty and I, neither one of us, as you can probably tell, live in South Florida anymore. Uh, But it definitely never, ever snowed there, ever.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Although there was one day where it was really – it was probably in the 30s. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Josh and I came to work. And, you know, 30s, I mean, it's like whatever, 35, 36, it's cold. But that's not like that cold. But all the most of the office buildings and things like that, those those places aren't insulated to protect against that kind of cold. And the windows are definitely not insulated to protect (laughs) against that kind of cold. And so we had actually a small prop that we had made for stage for some reason with, that was like a fake bonfire. And so Josh <laughs> and I have a picture of each other, you know, fake warming our hands around this bonfire in the <laughs> office. We were sitting in this office wearing our, like wearing sweaters and sweatpants and gloves. And we're like, it's it had to have been 43 degrees in the office. That day.
0: <laughs> it was just, wow. awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was cold. It was cold. Yeah, Man. Great. Well, Keith, um, I know, well, two things. One, I know you recently celebrated a birthday, so happy birthday. Thank um, you. But also, on your birthday, you released uh, your most recent book, uh, Jesus Undefeated. Um, yes. So congratulations on that. I see it's, uh, it's doing rather well. Um, I enjoyed reading it a lot, and I um, ordered my copy the day that it came out as well. So um, I'm excited for that to, to spread and get in the hands of some people.
2: Yeah, thank you so much, Josh. I'm I'm really blessed. Uh, yeah, like you said, it's going it's going really well so far. Um, you know, it's number one in it's in a couple of different categories, and um and the and the feedback has been amazing. This is what really blesses me honestly the most is reading the reviews or getting private messages from people or just people commenting on Facebook about the book um, and how it's helped them, how it's blessed them, how it helps them to. Um, kind of resolve this sort of problem. The book is about uh, resolving the problem of hell uh, and looking at the three different uh, historically Christian views of hell. There's been three views from the beginning. And um, so just people don't realize some of those things. Just, I, I love being able to help people, um, you know, think through certain things and give them information that they probably don't have uh, that might help them process through some important questions. So yeah, I'm very excited about
0: it. Yeah. Awesome, man. We'll um, <laughs> We'll have to uh, – well, I guess we'll put it this way. If you like us and don't think we're a waste of time, perhaps we can have you on again <laughs> in the future to talk about that book. Um, no. Because that's not actually what uh, what we have you on to, to talk about today. But uh, before we get to our topic for today, we have a, a question that we ask everybody who comes on the show. Um, it's super important usually – Uh, Depending on how grumpy Marty is, it depends on whether, you know, your answer will determine if we can continue the interview or not. Oh, wow. Um, So, but, and I think Marty's in a pretty good mood today, so hopefully that's a a good thing. Uh, (laughs) We'll see. We'll see. So, so our question, uh, Keith, for you is this. What is your favorite hockey team? oh gosh <laughs> well guys it's been great talking to you I uh,
2: appreciate the this brief time we've had together um, well here's here's the thing um, I don't have uh, well first of all yes I, I, I don't really have a favorite hockey team that's not because I love all of them it's actually because A. I don't watch hockey and B. I don't really follow any sports to be honest um, in fact I take a very weird um you know sort of non-traditional view of of that like um i think it's because uh, when i was studying um tribalism i started noticing how tribalism is just sort of a bad idea it's a bad thing in just society and people it's not a good thing usually i mean it can be uh, don't get me wrong but i think sometimes tribalism kind of creates these toxic us versus them kind of mentalities Mm -hmm. And so because of that, I've just kind of given up on the whole, you know, rooting for my team kind of a thing. So, sorry, uh, I don't I don't have a favorite hockey team.
0: No, Well, so that's like, you're not the first person who said you ha- don't have one, but you're the first person who gave us a legitimate, logical reason for <laughs> yeah. not having one. So that's awesome. Well, normally we try to help people find a hockey team if they don't have <laughs> one. But since you uh. gave such a good reason, then we're just going to be like, yeah, there you have it. So, yeah, okay. Josh,
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and allow the answer to proceed with the interview. Oh, thank, thank God! Yeah, thank
0: God. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, it's sweet your
2: grace.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I mean, the truth is, we all know that hockey is Jesus's favorite sport, but we don't have yeah, to debate okay. that right now. That's not the the topic That's a given. today. That's a given. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sweet.
2: So, like a, oh, middle, a middle Eastern. Yeah, a Middle Eastern first century Jewish guy would totally love
0: hockey. <laughs> I think you're right. I always, Keith, I, so I'm a, um, I serve full-time in vocational ministry, and I'm a high school and young adult pastor. And um, I always try to argue with my students and tell them that they need to love hockey because Jesus did. Um, and then I say, they're like, how can you even support that? And then I say something which is, Maybe slightly blasphemous, but hopefully people with a good sense of humor can move by it. I was like, well, it always talks about Jesus walking on water in scripture. And uh, basically Jesus is uh-huh. playing ice hockey. The water was frozen. That's what they're getting at. So Jesus was right. walking on the water. It just happened to be frozen. Therefore, Jesus played <laughs> ice hockey. So that's my defense. But often, often it does. they don't buy it.
1: Now, Josh, that is that is what we that is where we would say your theology does suck.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would have to agree with that. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Um, sweet. Well, uh, Keith, can you just uh, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself, like who you are, uh, maybe a little bit about your faith journey, uh, things like that, just so one uh, people can get to know you, um, but also to help you know frame the the context for the rest of our conversation as well.
2: Yeah. Well, the short version is, um, I'm formerly I was former a Southern Baptist licensed ordained uh, minister of the gospel, and um, then about uh, I guess it's now been probably about uh, twelve years ago, um, kind of walked away from full time ministry. Um, My wife and I started a a house church where we gave away 100% of the offering to the poor in the community. No one took a salary. He's got a job like anybody else in the real world to support my family. And for 11 years, we were part of this uh, house church that did that. We gave everything away to to care for the poor in our community. We served families living in a motel in Santa Ana, California. Um, It was really one of the most transformational things I've ever done. Um, But I think as part of that process of kind of outside of denominational um christianity and uh, i always say i sort of left the pulpit to follow jesus (laughs) um nice organized church to follow jesus and and honestly for me that's kind of what happened like i felt like once i stripped away all of the really kind of man-made traditions and and structures and everything uh the building the idea of you know hierarchy and um uh you know, uh, spiritual covering and all these kind of like made up stuff. Um, I just kind of like realized like, wow, it's really all really is. I think it's all about just what Jesus said it was loving God and loving others, uh, as Christ has loved us. And, um, so yeah, that, that was a pretty pivotal, uh, step in my spiritual journey. And, uh, we've kind of been moving in that direction ever since.
0: Nice. Awesome. Yeah. And so you've, um, You've also, you've been like a, an author of uh, quite a few books. Um, I know you just kind of wrapped up the, or maybe you didn't wrap up, but um, you just put out your fourth book in like your Jesus Un-series, where you kind of do like Jesus Untangled, Jesus Unveiled, uh, or Jesus Unbound, uh, Jesus Undefeated, and, um, oh, I was right, <laughs> Jesus Unveiled. Um, yes. Yeah, and so like my, my first introduction to your work uh, was actually through reading Uh, Jesus Untangled, um, which I believe was pointed out to me uh, by Greg Boyd in his book, um, oh goodness, The Myth of a Christian Nation. And so that Uh was an extremely helpful book for me, Jesus Untangled. Um, I definitely recommended that to many people and ruffled many feathers with it. And I love it for that reason. (laughs) It's been super helpful to me. Um, But then today we wanted to, to talk to you um, about your, it's, well, it's not your most recent book about, but one of your other books, your unbooks called Jesus Unbound, uh, Liberating the Word of God from the Bible. And uh, this is a pretty cool book. I really in, uh, enjoyed reading it. Um has some nice endorsements. Uh, Brad Jersek and uh, Brian Zond are both uh, friends of the podcast, I guess you could say. We've uh, talked with both of them, and um, they're such awesome people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so that's pretty cool. And um, I guess just kind of to to set things up and uh, really just get at it in the uh, in the foreword that Brian Zahn wrote uh, for your book he said that Jesus Christ is the true Word of God. the Bible is the Word of God only in a penultimate sense. only Jesus Christ is the inerrant and infallible perfect and divine Word of God and that's kind of the um, the direction this uh, this book goes in and so, Right off the bat, we're jumping into, I guess, what some people might say, controversial territory. Uh, But can you just tell us, like, what what caused you to want to write this book? Like, what problem did you have in mind? Uh, Those kind of things.
2: Yeah. Well, I think um, I started just started noticing that I would I would make certain comments online, and I would notice the pushback I would get from some Christians that was very odd to me. Uh, and I started noticing that some Christians were behaving as if and and, and talking as if um, the Bible was the third person of the Trinity, like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. And, <laughs> and they would say things that, or they would post things even, and and I would I would look at it, I would look at the post and say, you know, if you just change the word Bible for, for Jesus, I would agree with that statement. But it's like people were attributing um, authority. For example, I mean, you know, if you ask the average Christian, what is the Christian's ultimate authority? The Bible. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know that the Bible doesn't say that? (laughs) That actually Jesus says that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. Yeah. Not book that we wrote about him. Um, And those kinds of things. So I was like, well, I mean, so at first I just thought that was odd. But what I noticed was when any time I tried to lovingly just softly sort of correct that way of thinking, I just got hammered i mean why are people pushing so hard like it feels like i think some people literally are worshiping the bible and then i found uh, some people that very openly told me yes i am worshiping the bible and you should too and i thought (laughs) that's kind of insane so um yeah what i want to do is just write a book that sort of clarified that look the bible i love the bible and i say that in the beginning of, of my introduction And I really do. I love the Bible. I read it every day. I've been reading it since I was nine years old. I write books about it. I do podcasts about it. Uh, I go to events and talk about the Bible and stuff from the Bible and uh, all that. So I love, love, love the Bible, but I just love Jesus a hundred million billion times more. And, (laughs) uh, and so it's not like I'm diminishing the Bible. When I exalt Christ above the Bible, like of course he's above the Bible. Um, but, and that, and so that to me that shouldn't be controversial but unfortunately it is yeah um, but the bible the bible never points us back to the bible the bible always points us back to christ hmm. um, and again these are should not be controversial concepts but unfortunately they are for some people and so i'm just trying to reframe uh the way we look at scripture
0: yeah absolutely and i know originally i told you that i was going to try to like like provide a lot of pushback because, um, like, I agree with you, <laughs> but like trying to think differently. Uh, but I am really quickly coming to realize it's not going to work so great because I'm so passionate about um, this idea, and I think a lot of um, a lot of the doctrines that we have been taught, or that I know I was taught about the Bible growing up, um, as soon as I got out into the quote-unquote real world, so to speak, um, or started reading and thinking for myself. Instantly, my doctrine and understanding of Scripture was blown sky high, and I don't want that to happen to other people. Um, And so that's why I'm, like, myself as well, I'm so passionate about this. Um, And once I found, like, this idea that, wait a minute, Jesus is the ultimate authority. Jesus is ultimately, you know, Jesus is the ultimate revelation of who God is, and Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, then why is it so crazy to think uh, that maybe we should read the Bible through, through that lens? And so right. for me, that's kind of, uh, that's what happened to me. But I guess uh, one thing that's been thrown at me a lot, and i would interested to hear your response to this, is people will tell me, oh, Josh, you just have a low view of Scripture. You don't mm-hmm. take the Bible seriously enough, and that's why you say these things. So um, has anyone ever thrown that at you? And, and if so, how would you respond to that?
2: Oh well, no, of course, my gosh, yes, I get that. <laughs> I get that
0: all the time that I have a low view of Scripture, and I just say,
2: no. I it's, look again. I love the Bible. I um, I want to keep the Bible exactly where it is. Let's just keep it where it should be. But as long as Jesus is exalted above the scriptures, and then the, and that's where the problem comes in. It's not, not. It's what they're people are upset about is seems to be at least in the way they're responding. What they're upset about is not. Um it's it's that I'm exalting Christ above the scriptures, and like that's their problem. Like, I don't understand why, why is that a problem for you for me to exalt Christ above the scriptures. Now, again, I'm not trying to put diminish the scriptures in any way. In fact, here's the crazy thing: I'm doing exactly what the scriptures do. The scriptures, <laughs> the scriptures don't exalt themselves, the scriptures exalt Christ, right? And so um, that's the odd the odd response when I get that response like oh no you're just you're just diminishing the bible no i'm i'm actually following the example of the scripture and and so here's here's i think for the disconnect for a lot of people and i'll be honest this, this is what kind of helped me turn the corner on this perspective um because i was raised with what's known as a flat bible perspective which i think the kind of christian that would accuse you and i of diminishing scripture which is probably a flat bible person yeah um and so just real quickly, a flat Bible perspective, which is all I ever knew that there was, because I was never told there was another perspective, is that the Bible is one book. There is God. God wrote that book, and he dropped it out of the sky, down to Corinthian letter, and it's available on your local Baptist bookstore. And so, <laughs> so if you treat the Bible as one book, and it's all written by God. Um, and then that means that everything in that one book is has equal weight and authority to anything mm-hmm. else in that book. And again, that's the way I was always raised. But but the problem with that is that if you try to live that way or study the Bible that way, you know it almost automatically, you're going to run into all kinds of problems because, well, the, this Bible verse here says this, but I can find another verse over here that says something that seems to contradict that. So what do I do about that? And so you're going to notice that, by the way. And, um, and then you end up, but if you're going to hold tightly to that flat Bible perspective, you're going to twist yourself into a pretzel trying to make both of those verses um, or both of those sets of verses, because that's kind of the truth. There's more than one verse that might support those different ideas.
0: Hmm.
2: Mm. Um, then you're going, reckon, you're going to realize it's really, really hard to reconcile those and that they could both be true. But here's so here's the here's the switch. Um, I actually discovered another perspective, which is the Jesus centered perspective perspective on scripture and i discovered it when i was studying um the anabaptist movement and i was there's a book the reformers and their stepchildren by uh, a guy named verdun and um and in that book he's just talking about historically that the real conflict between the reformers uh, and the anabaptists was this issue that the reformers took a flat bible perspective and the anabaptists took a jesus-centered perspective and that for them um, Jesus was the ultimate authority, as you just said. But here, here's what's so great about it. So first, it was that was the shock to me. That was like, oh my gosh, there's another way to look at Scripture. But then when I started looking at, well, why would you take that perspective? How did the English come up with that? You start looking at the New Testament and realize, well, because that's what the New Testament says. Like mm-hmm. when when Jesus says, or well, well when John says in the Gospel of John, no one has ever seen God at any time, except mm. for the and, and the Son came to reveal the Father to us. Well, so right there, what we're being told is that if Jesus had not come, we would have had an, a faulty idea of who the Father was. We would not have known clearly who God was. So Jesus is the only one who's ever seen God. So And Jesus came so that we could clearly see who God is. So that was the first thing, like, okay, wow, that's cool. Then um, <laughs> the second thing is, um, and again, I'd never seen it this way before, But when you look at them, what happens on the Mount of Transfiguration? So you have Jesus on the mountain um, with James and John, and then Moses and Elijah appear with him. Now, it's not an accident. It's not arbitrary that it's Moses and Elijah. It's very specific because Moses stands for the law and Elijah stands for the prophets. And Peter makes the classic flat Bible mistake by saying, this is wonderful. Jesus, we should elevate you. We're going to do you a favor, Jesus. I'm going to play you a compliment. I'm going to I'm going to elevate you, Jesus, right up there with Moses and Elijah. You know what? The three of you are equally authoritative. You are equally worthy of being, you know, exalted. And the Father's response to that is to remove Moses, the law, to remove Elijah, the prophets, to leave only Jesus and Say, this is my son, listen to him. And then it's over. That's hmm. the end of it. The lesson is over. There's nothing else to learn from this. Um, and so, but when I saw that, I'd never noticed that before that, oh, Moses stands for the law, Elijah stands for the prophet. And then Jesus said, the father says, this is my son, listen to him. Oh my gosh. But it's also what, what Paul the apostle says. Um, Paul says, he says, you know, to this day, Whenever we read the Old Covenant Scriptures, a veil covers our eyes. And the only thing that removes the veil is Christ. So again, what does that tell you? Well, it tells us that if you attempt to read the Bible without looking at it through the lens of Christ, you're going to get it wrong. Hmm. The only way to understand it truly is to first start with Jesus. And if you start with Jesus, and he's your starting point, he's your plumb line. Uh, He's your filter and your lens. Well, now is the only way that the veil is removed and you can clearly understand what it is, what's going on. So, again, those, those kinds of ideas are repeated all through the New Testament by Jesus, by the Father, by Paul the Apostle, um, and even by later early church fathers. Like, this is the way they looked at Scripture. And I think it makes sense. I think, of course, Jesus is our ultimate authority. Um, so, every, in other words, every, every knee bows to Jesus, including Moses— Including Elijah, um, and that—that's the really the at least for me that's what resolves resolves a lot of those conflicts and, and confusions that happen uh, when we're trying to read the Bible the flat Bible.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and that's um, that. I'm gonna I'll be honest with you when when I was reading your book the um, the veil concept that you pointed out uh, that Paul um, speaks of I believe it's in uh, was it First Corinthians. Uh, I think- yeah, it's it, one of the Corinthians, <laughs> but that concept of uh, having a veil over our eyes when reading the scripture, and then Christ is the one that um, kind of takes that away. I had never seen that before, and um, Corinthians is one of my favorite books because mm-hmm. I love I love the um, Paul's talk of like uh, resurrection uh, because I'm a huge NT Wright fan, so um, you know my understanding of the restoration and redemption of all of creation, you know, heaven coming to earth. Uh, all of that is expounded so lovely um, in Paul's letters to the Corinthians. And so, like, I don't know why I didn't see it before, but that just further solidified this idea for me that everything has to be read through the lens of Christ. Um, hmm. But something interesting happens because I will tell, like, so I have a, a good buddy, actually, he used to be the, the, uh, a co-host on this show, Um, he's, uh, like super reformed, um, very conservative, like, uh, confessionally reformed, like Westminster confession of faith, all that kind of stuff. Um, and anytime I would tell him, I'm just trying to have a a Jesus centered hermeneutic or or read the Bible through the lens of Christ, he would say, well, you're doing it wrong. Us reformed people do it right. (laughs) But like, what's the disconnect there?
2: Well, um, I think the disc, I was going to say when you were describing your friend, I thought, oh, he'll hate this book.
0: Oh yeah, Um, he will hate this book. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: Because here's the thing. I mean, um, I think when I've had people tell me, oh yeah, you you know, uh, we're reading it through the lens of Christ. I think here's the mistake that often gets made. Um, and, and and the mistake is between, and it's subtle, it can be subtle. Um, it's between the idea of, okay, Jesus shows us who the Father is, right? So Jesus says, if you want to know what the Father is like, look at me, right? I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say the words the Father gives me to speak. All right, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, Jesus says in Matthew, uh, no one knows the Father except the Son, and to whoever the, the Son chooses to reveal him. So so the way I understand that, and I think if you're going to take a truly Christ-centered view, you start with jesus and you only start with jesus um, this is the, the whole thing about when jesus says you abide in me and i will abide in you and you have to start with that you have to abide in christ in such a way that you you truly truly know christ and christ knows you It's this this incredible connection you have with christ you have to start there if you start there and not with theology not with calvin not with other things you start only with jesus then you can you can do what we're talking about but the problem is that when people, some people, when they hear, when they read that, Jesus says, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, the way they read it is, oh, Jesus is that guy in the Old Testament. And that's the opposite direction <laughs> to, to to read that in. So, so in other words, instead of looking first at Jesus and saying, oh, wait a minute, Jesus is a picture of who the Father always was. And and we didn't see it clearly. We misunderstood. We now need to start with Jesus and then go back and look again at these pictures of God that were bad that were that were not you know what weren't, weren't through they were pre-christian uh, you know before Jesus. We didn't clearly see because none of those people who wrote the Old Testament could clearly see who the Father was until Jesus came. Mm. and so we we can't take the Old Testament ideas of God and say, for example, look in the Old Testament, God tells people to go and slaughter you know the Canaanites and to show no mercy when they split open the pregnant belly and they slaughter the children, and the toddlers and the babies. And um, and they think, oh, yeah, that's Jesus. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not how that direction that works. We start with Jesus. We know Jesus first. And once you know Jesus, when you go back and read some of those passages, you go, wait a minute. I don't think that's Jesus. I can't see Jesus saying that. Or, or just even something that doesn't have to be that extreme. Um, when you see Moses saying something like, um, somebody who's born deformed or with a mental illness or something like that, um, cannot come to the temple or to to the tabernacle to worship God, because God is too holy to allow anybody who's deformed or sick, uh, in his presence. Like, really? Is that how Jesus reacted to people that were sick and deformed? And, um, you know, no, he went, he went to them, right? He embraced them. He loved them. He accepted them. So, so if we look at Jesus, what we see is well, actually, no, Moses, you're wrong about that. God is not mm-hmm. too good, too holy, um, you know, uh, to embrace people that are born with deformities or, uh, or, or just anything like that. So again, we're we're only way to resolve this is to start with Jesus. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, you know, and one of the, one of the things I've always seen and felt like Keith is that. Um, I don't know that it's necessarily from specific traditions of faith, although I think it tends to be at times. But I think I think for some reason Americans, but I think humans in general, feel the need to come up with a formula and answers to everything that they don't understand. Um, and then when they don't understand it uh, and they can't come up with the formula, they write it off as invalid. <laughs> so, you know, when, when when they look at something like, you know, putting Jesus first— in putting the scriptures second in their minds, if they can't come up with a formulaic reason for that or some sort of like, you know, okay, I'm going to spend all this time and I, I mean, I can read the scriptures and I can put all this together and I can come up with how this is supposed to be. So like, to me, that's where a lot of like, you know, it's, it's exactly where like young earth theology has come from, where someone has read the scriptures, analyzed and said, okay, based on all the numbers that I added up, this is how old the earth ought to be. And, completely wipes away everything else because, well, it's by scripture alone and nothing else. Um, And I think that's been a pretty dangerous thing in Christianity over the last, oh, I don't know, hundreds of years, Um, because it's, it's, it's placed God within the box of our personal ability to be able to cognitively understand something instead of just saying, yeah, God is capable of so much more than I could ever possibly understand. Why do I, why would I believe that scripture even just looking at the words like, why do I personally believe and feel so full of myself that I can read this and come up with an analytical support structure to anything that I read out of this? I mean, really, I mean, to me, there's so much that we miss. um, And there's so much that we will never know. um, But I think following Jesus gives us so much more uh, than just simply reading the word. I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm not sure if that plays plays a role to you at all. Like just that that need to have an answer. That need oh, yeah. to analyze. That we have as people. I don't know.
2: No, you're right. So here's the thing. I think um, you you've nailed. Put you kind of hit the nail on the head there. Because if you look at evangelical Christianity in America, uh, I think we have reached the point, and it's and it's. I think it's pretty messed up. We've reached a point where we're so focused on being right, we have reduced the gospel. To information in other words if you have the <laughs> right information about god right then you're a christian if you have the wrong information about god well i don't know maybe you're not a christian because you you know like i'm going to ask you 10 theological questions and if you get all 10 of them right okay ding you're you're a christian so it's about information yeah. right but if you're wrong yep. but you know, a couple of those are wrong well now i don't know maybe you're not a christian but here's the deal that's not what the gospel is the gospel is not about information it's about transformation and yeah. transformation again now transcends this information um, and it goes to a relationship and experience of Jesus. And this is really what I'm trying to really pushing everyone or helping people to see in the book is that um, we have made, unfortunately we have made the Bible the point. It's like we've we've acted as if the menu is the meal. We treat the map (laughs) as if it's the treasure but it, the, the real danger of that is if you act as if the map is the treasure, you never find it. You never get yeah. it. Or if you act the menu is your meal and you try to eat that, then you don't actually get the meal. And right. so that to me is misunderstanding and misusing the Bible, the purpose of the Bible. What the Bible's entire purpose is, is to point us to Christ. And so... The other question that comes up a lot as well in this conversation with Christians is when I try to talk about this, is they'll say, "Well, Keith, you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't know any of these things if it wasn't for the Bible." So in other words, what what a lot of Christians have settled for is a relationship with a book, Hmm. not, Hmm. not with Christ. And um, now some of them I understand because they they've never even been told that they could have an actual experience of Christ apart from a book yeah in some in some ways it's not their fault i guess no one's ever even taken it beyond to that point um but uh but some of them are even actively encouraged not to right oh no that's dangerous you don't want to have any of these kind of woo-woo spiritual experiences because that could take you off course or something um, yeah but um but i do see here's the thing I, I do think that we we can in fact well here's the deal when people have said you know can you can you know anything about christ outside of the bible i would say only if the bible is true because that's what the bible (laughs) because the bible says that i can hear his voice jesus says i'm the good shepherd and my sheep hear my voice and so um you know when jesus even says that well this is this is such a classic thing jesus says to the pharisees you search the scriptures because you think in them you'll find life and and unfortunately so many christians are are convinced of that too they think that life is found in the book it's not it's found in the person the book is a it's in christ jesus says you know to the pharisees you refuse to come to me and have life and so again it it has to get get beyond the book and and become an experience with the person with an actual you know with jesus with christ and and then to move into this experience with him to know him um Sorry, I'm kind of rambling here a little bit, but there's there's no, a part uh, there's a part um, that I, I point out in the book. There's a verse in John where Jesus says, this is eternal life to know God and his son whom he has sent. But the word know, this goes back to the idea of information versus transformation. The word know that Jesus uses there in the Greek is the word gnosko. It's not the word for information. It's not the word for knowledge. It's the word for the way a husband knows his wife and she gets pregnant. Hmm. So so really what Jesus is saying is eternal life is this, to have an experience, a transformational, intimate experience of the Father and the Son in such a way that it conceives something within you, this new yeah. life within you. Mm. That is so much more. Information can't do that, right? It's yeah. got to be this experience. It is going to be what Jesus is talking about.
1: Yeah, you know, a lot of what you're saying earlier, too, like you were saying that I, I think when you say that I'm going to focus on Jesus first instead of scripture first, I mean, you're, you're not, no one's saying that we're not going to read scripture anymore. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, uh, some, someday, someday I'm going to, you know, be willing at a, at a different time to share, but like over the last week, uh, my family and I have experienced a, 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 what, what I would call a minor tragedy, um, you know, just between just inside family. And, um, you know, we had an opportunity um where well it's i'm calling it an opportunity but it's it's an odd way to it's an odd way to refer to it but to either run from jesus um and to run from what we knew was safe and what we knew was good um or to turn in and cling to jesus which is kind of you know for a long time josh that's kind of been like our unofficial slogan for the podcast but i mean i feel like it's just time to just be like that's our official slogan cling to jesus (laughs) Uh, cling to jesus um and that's something that my wife and I both did. Um, and uh, I can I can be honest with you at first, at the beginning of that tragedy, I did not. Uh, I was kind of, you know, trying to do my own thing. Um, but I found that in clinging to Jesus first and in spending time alone with Jesus, that led me to want to get into the scripture. That led me to want to get into what his word says, not because his word was more important and not because... Um, you know, what the Bible said about something specific was going to give me all the answers in life. You know, like I hate when the acronym, you know, that the Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth. I hate (laughs) when it's used (laughs) because it, 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 it tells people that if you just read this book, you know, over and over and over again, like from start to finish without any context clues or anything like that, you'll just have everything you need. And then when you die, everything will be just fine. But let alone the shit
0: eschatology. (laughs) <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and like, to be honest, Keith, you know, what I've seen this, this past week, I and mean, literally from, you know, probably nine days now, uh, on a micro level is that clinging to Jesus specifically leads me to the desire for more. And mm-hmm. Jesus then leads me to desire his word and leads yeah. me to desire prayer and communication and conversation. It Jesus in that, that that overwhelming desire leads me to want relationship and communion with those who also want to cling to Jesus. There has been so many people that I have found this week that, you know, who I've seen aren't naturally clinging to Jesus. And it's, to use the word repulsive would be, would be, I think a little too far, but I've literally just wanted to push away from anything (laughs) that doesn't involve clinging to Jesus first. Um, And that has been so absolutely transformational for my wife and I in this time of loss, like this time of tragedy, Um, you know, and it's something that, you know, I mean, this is not something like, oh, well, we we did it for this week. And now that we're okay, now we can go back to our old ways of, you know, opening our Bible up and reading, you know, Mark two. And uh, and then tomorrow we'll read Mark three and then tomorrow we'll read Mark four and say a little prayer before and after. Like it's like you said, it's not it's transformational. I mean, it, it transforms and completely turns on your head on, on the head what is – I mean, now I'm rambling, but like um, I've just – everything you're saying I've seen like specifically this week. And it's not just like, oh, I've kind of seen that. Like I've seen it every moment of every day and every word that I've read and every prayer that I've said and every church service that I've gone to, every sermon, every song. I mean, everything has been completely transformed in my life simply from saying – I'm going to cling to Jesus and whatever that means that I need to do, I'm going to do. And I don't care what it takes. So, I mean, I just, you know, I think people think that, you know, looking and clinging to Jesus. And when you say that that's what you're going to do, I think that they assume that means that you're writing off scripture, that you're saying scripture isn't an or you're saying that scripture mm-hmm. is faulty, or you're saying that you no longer believe in the left behind series as, as the Bible part oh, two.
0: I don't believe in the left behind series. <laughs> you, know, you need to get oh, rid again, of that. <laughs> but you also
1: mentioned, you mentioned the Baptist bookstore earlier. So uh, I thought yeah, I'd bring so that up. fit in. Um, yeah. Well done. But I, But so for me, I think there's just been so much that people miss in saying when you say cling to Jesus, you're right when you say it's almost as if they've created this other sect of Christianity that puts Jesus as second instead of – and then puts scripture first. And, you know, there's another religion that's done that, and its name Mm -hmm. is Mormonism, (laughs) uh, (laughs) and uh, many people would call that a cult. And so why are we okay with calling that a cult? But within Christianity, if we put Jesus second, that's okay.
2: Yeah. Well, you know what? Thank you for saying that, man. And, um, and I am sorry to hear about your, your tragedy, but it is, I, I, I can, I mean, I have a similar experience in my own life as well. I mean, the, like about how, um, well, let me, let me just say it this way. What blesses me the most, and, it, and it's happened to me very consistently, um, is people who have read this book, Jesus Unbound, um, have written to me and to thank me for the book. And what they've said is, Keith, after reading this book, I love the scripture now more than I ever did, but right, right. Love Jesus, I love Jesus in a way, and I see Jesus in a way I never saw him before. And that's, so this is what I want people to understand. This is not an anti-Bible book. Yeah, I'm not, no one's going to read this book and at the end of it, close it and say, forget the Bible.
0: <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> no, you're going to read the Bible because I'm looking for Jesus. I want to, I want to experience more of him. I want to draw near to him. But it, here's the thing though. It isn't. We don't experience Jesus only through the Bible. Yes, that's one of the ways, but it's also through prayer. It's also through meditation, through silence, or through going through difficult times like you're talking about, where this is real life. And this is where I need that connection with Jesus more than ever. Because if it's if all I have is is a few verses in a book that was written two thousand years ago. I mean, yeah. that's that's terrifying. Like I, I need more than that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, here's here's something. I just want to read a little thing that uh, that is from the book that I did. As you were talking, this, I was reminded of this, and, and I had to look it up again. Um, and it, I said this. Let's not forget. The Word of God speaks to you. The Bible is silent. The Word of God is within you. The Bible is outside of you. The Word of God will never leave you. Your Bible can be misplaced. The Word of God died for you. The Bible isn't alive. The Word mm. of God loves you. The Bible does the word of God is a person. His name is Jesus. Get to know him. Mm. And again, that's the message of the Bible. Absolutely. That there's this amazing person called Jesus, and he loves you so much, and he He reflects to you in the clearest possible way. He's the exact representation of the Father, of who the Father is, what the Father is like, and you need to get to know him. And yeah. yes, some of that's going to be reading his words from the from the scriptures, but it's also going to be an experience of him that transcends the book, right? Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. And I think too, like with with the Bible, like both both of you touched on this. Like, basically, I think um, that in order to get to this place where we're reading the Bible. Um, for what the Bible actually says, pointing us to Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate authority. Is that we actually have to start taking the Bible on its own terms? I know for me, that's where this idea of reading um, Scripture through the lens of Jesus really uh, kicked in for me, and it it brought Scripture to life in a way that had it it didn't, it wasn't there before. So, before like if we if we come and um, Marty, I might cause some disagreement with you here, but I think. I have intuition, Keith, you might um, track with this. But if we bring this idea of inerrancy or infallibility to the scripture and then try to read it through that lens, I think we're doing something to the Bible that the Bible itself doesn't, it doesn't say about itself um, anywhere. Right. So we're, we're setting up this framework and we're actually, in my mind, that's a lower view of scripture because you are telling the Bible how it needs to behave yeah. Uh, when in reality, once I threw, threw those out and said, okay, maybe those aren't quite right, then the Bible came to life and I saw this inner dialogue of people, of God revealing himself to people and people writing about their experience of God in a way that made sense for them in their time and place. I mm-hmm. saw I saw a God that was willing to enter into to conversation and I saw, you know, the prophets, um... Arguing with each other, making a point and then a counterpoint. Like I saw that the Bible is not univocal; it's multivocal. Yeah. And I saw that God is telling His story constantly throughout the Bible through His children, and I think that's beautiful. It, it's yeah. that's amazing. God, it just you know shows God fully identifying with humans in His creation, and ultimately working up to the the full and ultimate revelation of who God is christ jesus himself right and yeah. then everything else then has to be read in turn back through that and yes. in, well. in my mind that is an extremely high view of scripture but it's also a very high view of christ and um i think we uh, we just did an interview with uh matt bates who uh wrote salvation uh by allegiance alone and also uh his new book was gospel allegiance where he's talking about how we get the gospel wrong when we say that the gospel is just justification by faith, right? The gospel is that Jesus is king. And we if we say Jesus is king, then that means something. And I think taking having a high Christology like that, Jesus is king, Jesus is my ultimate authority. You know, I don't seek to f- uh, follow the Bible. I don't seek to become more biblical. Rather, I'm seeking to follow Christ. I'm seeking to become more Christ-like every day. That just seems to be what the Bible— is saying go do that rather than yeah. importing these these modern categories because um, if I'm not mistaken, inerrancy and infallibility are rather uh, new concepts and doctrines that arose when people try to yeah. defend the Bible. Yeah, exactly.
2: Well, now you're going to get me in trouble. Um, <laughs> I agree with you. No, well, I agree with you. First of all, I don't believe the Bible makes claims for itself like that—that that it's inerrant and infallible. Um, Now, a lot of times people will point to, you know, the verse um, in uh, Timothy about all scriptures God breathed and useful for instruction and teaching and rebuke and training and righteousness. Um, Well, the problem with that, pointing to that particular verse, is that in, yes, in your English Bible, it says (laughs) scripture. But if you go to the Greek, the word scripture does not appear in that verse. What that verse actually says in the Greek, it's the, it's not the word for scripture, it's the word, just the common word, uh, the Greek word, graphis, for writings. It just means writings. So what the verse actually says is, all of the God-breathed writings are useful for instruction and teaching and rebuke and training in righteousness. Okay, so now that should beg the question. So what are the God-breathed writings? I would say any writing that is useful for instruction <laughs> and teaching and training in righteousness. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so again, it's. I think again, we've we've uh, we have English translations, unfortunately. And then we're getting into another into the weeds with some other topics. But the, our English Bibles, unfortunately, are not always translated. Uh, I think without bias, and uh, and usually it is to support some of these kind of constructs we've added later. So, yeah. uh, What I think we've come up, what I've come up with is again, you don't have to agree with me on this, but this is kind of where I'm at right now. Um, either. I think we either believe that the Bible is the book that God wrote and we helped. Hmm. Or the Bible is a book that we wrote and sometimes God helped. And, um, and I, I kind of tend to fall on the, the second part. I think the Bible is a book that we wrote about God. And I think that's fairly easy to prove <laughs> that hmm. we wrote it book that we wrote about God. Now that doesn't mean it's not useful. doesn't mean it's not helpful. doesn't yeah. mean it, it's not a beautiful, and doesn't even mean it's not inspired. Um, mm-hmm. But I think your the definition of inspiration um, needs to needs to be modified a tiny bit. Like for me, inspiration. Do I have time?
0: Yeah, are we, are we're we getting good.
2: close to. Oh yeah, yeah no, yeah, we're we're, we're on
0: your time, Keith. So we'll, I can talk forever. That's my problem. <laughs> we're on your time here.
1: Okay. GST, Charles, right, well, time. time that's right.
0: <laughs> so okay, so so here's how. I
2: I think to me, this is a more helpful way to think about the concept of, to say that something is inspired. Okay. And this is a real example. So I'm driving down the road, I'm listening to the radio, not even Christian radio, just some regular radio station. And a song comes on and the words of that song, it's like, just nail me. Right. It hits my heart, my mind. I feel like, Oh my gosh, God is speaking to me through the words of this song in such a powerful, profound, beautiful way. And I know it's, it's answering a question that I have. It's resolving a struggle that I have. It's bring, bringing insight to me in a way that like, Oh my gosh, thank you, God. This was exactly what I needed. This is beautiful. And I get to your house and I tell you that experience. I, oh my gosh, I was driving in the, in the in the car and I turn on the radio and this song came on and Oh my gosh, it, the, these words kind of spoke to me and it is exactly what I've been praying about and struggling with. And, and I, I, what I mean when I say that that is inspired, What I mean, I mean to say that the, I believe the creator of the universe used the words of that song in that moment to communicate a powerful, profound, and necessary transformational truth into my life that I needed in that exact moment. That's what I mean. Now, if your response to me would be to say, well, Keith, are you saying, wait a minute, are you saying that God wrote that song? No, God didn't write the song. Oh, so is that song infallible? Is that song inerrant? No, what are you even talking about? That is... Those questions have nothing to do with what I'm telling you, right? <laughs> you understand the creator of the universe used those words in that moment to speak to me a powerful, transformative, transformative, profound truth in my life in that moment. And I bl- I'm telling you, it was from God. That was a God thing that just happened. That is inspiration. But it mm-hmm. doesn't mean, again, God. I wrote that song. Alanis Morissette wrote that song. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's beside the point, Right. It doesn't matter who wrote the song. It doesn't matter, well, is it infallible? That's ridiculous. What do you mean? Of course it's not infallible, right? So again, I think we're asking the wrong questions when we are discussing inspiration. All we're saying is that God is using something that, that a person wrote to communicate truth to us in profound ways. But again, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it's in the moment. That's why I think that's one of the beautiful things about the scriptures is, how, you know, I'm sure we can all say we've all, anyone listening can, can agree with this. If you're a Christian, you can read the Bible a hundred times. And then one day you just flip over and read for the thousandth time, this verse in the Psalms or something in. And it's like, you've never seen it in your life before. And it just <laughs> nails you in the moment. You're like, Oh yes, that's what I needed. That's what that's inspiration. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, And that's a beautiful thing. God does that. But he, but how does he do that? Well, he, mm-hmm. he does it through the power of the Holy Spirit in that moment. He leads us to the thing we need to read. He he uses, uh, he allows us to see it in a way we've never seen it before. And he does something in our lives that's for our good. That's for our growth, for, again, for instruction and training and, ra- and righteousness. You know,
1: all of that's really good. I mean, Josh, earlier you had said, like, you might get into, you you, you might be getting into territory where I don't agree. Um, but I I, I think because I, I don't know that I disagreed with anything that either of you just said. Um, I, th- I think that um, if you were to ask, you know, Paul, as he was writing Ephesians, you know, are you concerned that in 2000 years, people are going to be having debates on whether or not everything you say here is the living, breathing, breathing, you know, expressed word of God and that it wasn't written by humans, but instead, you know, supernaturally, I think you would have said, well, I mean, of course it's supernaturally inspired by God, but God didn't take a pen and write this. Like this was me writing this. I'm not sure any of the writers of the scriptures would have been concerned with inerrancy. Um, and, and I think I think to me, if you, if you want to say the scriptures are inerrant and there are no issues with it, I think if there's a strong case for that at all, it has to be that the writers weren't concerned with that, that they were more so concerned with being focused on Jesus. And then in the Old Testament, without realizing it, they were more concerned about being focused on the coming Savior. Right. I mean, if you look at all the prophetic books, I mean, even if you read Psalms, and I, I used to make a, try to make huge cases like, oh, the book of Psalms is not a prophetic book. Don't read it as prophecy. But, I mean, it's clear that David was given supernatural, you know, Prophetic visions of what was going of of what was to come, Uh, and and I I think that as you read through Scripture and you read it through the lens of Jesus, I think you start to be less concerned about whether it's inerrant and more concerned about whether or not it points to Jesus which makes it really easy to read every book that is in our canon right now and say, this points me to Jesus because, or this keeps me focused on Jesus because. Um, so I'm, I'm not necessarily feeling like inerrancy is something that, like, is a hill to die on necessarily, because I think, <laughs> uh, well, for me particularly, I'm not saying in general, but I think for me, just because, like, What's more important is that, you know, is, is, does this point me to Jesus? And so if I read something that doesn't point me to Jesus at all, so like in Keith in your, in your example, if I hear a song that doesn't point me to Jesus, but instead points me the opposite direction, that's something that I don't want to then continue to influence and inspire me in my life. Right. Um, And, and I, and I think what's really great is, is that I don't need to sit down and read Romans to decide if that song is going to continue to inspire me to, to focus on Jesus. I think my personal discernment and my relationship with God and my focus and intent on the Holy spirit is what is going to inform that decision for me. It's not going to be sitting down and reading through Romans and being reminded of a verse that I haven't seen in a long time. Um, so I think I, I just I feel like there's there's a lot of focus on all of that. Um, but I also just think, like I said, I think the original writers of of the scriptures and even, you know, I would I would probably venture to guess, you know, even the pieces that weren't included in our official canon. Um, they, they, those writers wouldn't have been concerned about inerrancy or or on, any, or on or being inerrant or errant. They wouldn't have been concerned about that. They just would have said, well, I'm just I'm writing about what happened. And I'm yeah, writing about this experience. Yes. And, you know, this is something, you know, we can argue all day if the scriptures are or aren't inerrant. But I think the more important thing to argue about is where is Jesus in, in my personal life? Yes. And where and how am I living a life that leads others to Jesus um, and helping to disciple them to that place? So, I mean, I, I... Like Josh, I hear everything you were saying, worrying because you and I have talked about inerrancy before. Um, but I think inerrancy really is a—I don't want to say a social construct because I'm not like a—I'm not a millennial. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's definitely a a created idea yes. amongst amongst the church yes. to to fight a battle that is not ever been a battle that was worth arguing or fighting for. It's a, you know, they were worried that if they didn't come up with some sort of argument that scripture was perfect and inerrant and be able to prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt, then they wouldn't be able to get people interested in reading it. But they were focused on the wrong idea.
0: Yeah,
1: (laughs) it wasn't. Let's get people to just start reading this book. It was let's get people to figure out who Jesus is. And it will. So, I mean, I'm not I'm not disagreeing with anything. Josh, that you're saying, or anything that you, that Keith that you're saying, I, um, I I think Josh would have been concerned two weeks ago, Keith, that I wouldn't have felt the same way. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but I, but I just I, I've been, I mean, I think there's been a, a total transformation of my thought process and of my mind. I mean, you know that that has totally shifted. That I've been, you know, um, I'm not sure what you guys, I know what Josh kind of thinks, but I'm not sure what Keith, what you think of him. But I've been reading this, um, this Bill Johnson book, uh, lately. And uh, he's a pastor at Bethel Church in Reading, So obviously, uh, there's a lot of controversy around Bill Johnson, and a lot of controversy around Bethel Church. Uh, being Keith a- knows
0: nothing <laughs> about controversy. <laughs> oh, no,
1: no. And, and and one of the things that he'll say is he would say um, exactly the same thing we are all saying right now uh, when it comes to focusing on Jesus. But I think he would also include in there the Holy Spirit. And yes. your and yeah. your your experience with the Holy Spirit and I was just reading this morning he said uh, something something to the effect of so many people with their analytical minds want to be able to analyze and structure and put together this perfect little picture inside this perfect box uh, of who God is and how they can put that together. But any experience that they have with the Holy spirit, they want to push, cast that aside as something that is dangerous or worrisome. Or I, I I can't look at that because you know, this isn't something that I can put into a picture that I can regularly go back to and read over and over and over again. And uh, he would say, you know, the, removing of focusing on jesus and the removing of focusing on the holy spirit and the way that the holy spirit moves and works in our life on a daily basis you know like that song speaking to you i'm uh, not that bill johnson is jesus but i I think (laughs) what he would probably say is that was that would be the Holy Spirit working and convicting and moving in your life in such a way that then now you are going to go and share that experience with someone else, not because of the profound nature of the experience, but because you had it and because it was holy and because the Holy Spirit was directing and divinely inspiring that more. So that's essentially what the writers of Scripture did. They saw that. It was so moving and so inspiring and so overwhelming to them that they had no other option in their own minds but to write down and share this with as many people as they possibly could. I mean to me, inerrancy is I mean it's kind of a moot point sure. <laughs> at this point.
2: Yep. Yeah. Well, no you're exactly right. And I think again, this is part of the thing going back, we I think we touched on this earlier. We love formulas. Human yeah. just human beings we love formulas. Yeah. Give me a formula. But the yeah. problem with formulas is if I have a formula I don't need God. Yeah. yeah. And God God completely, I think, actively, aggressively resists that on purpose because he yeah. knows that we we tend to lean towards a formula, but he wants a relationship. And a relationship right. is every moment of every day going, okay, God, well, good morning, and what are we doing today? And I'm going to lean on you today. And, in, and the only way that works then is, again, if I'm abiding in Christ daily and I'm being led by the Holy Spirit. And this is what, again— what I'm talking about in my book is that if I'm going to be true to what the scriptures tell me, what the scriptures tell me is that I can be filled with the spirit led by the spirit, hear the voice of the good shepherd and ha- have a day, constant relationship where I'm depending upon the Holy spirit, not the Bible, mm. but on the Holy spirit. Now, again, that makes people nervous. Um, uh-huh. But, but here's, here's the thing I would just hold up. Uh, I mean, I think I mentioned this in the book as well, because, because again, we feel we take our safety in well, the, there's this book, right? And so, so let us this book that that's it's all written down. It's we can study it. We can you know we can break it apart. We can make charts and graphs and all this stuff. Okay, great. Um, and we think that if we do that, we won't get it wrong. But I'm here to tell you that for two thousand years uh, or more, we have followed <laughs> that book and we have gotten it wrong. Yeah. So it's not. A, but but I'll but I'll be honest. I'll be fair as well. If you if you're if you decide, well, okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna focus on the Holy Spirit and abiding in Christ and being led by the Holy Spirit and having the mind of Christ and all those kinds of things. Um, I'm not saying that if you do that, you'll never get it wrong. Look, never underestimate the power of human beings to get things wrong. Yes, Mm -hmm. we can get things wrong, but I'm here to tell you, I believe that if we lean more often on being led by the Holy Spirit and abiding in Christ, we are less likely, well, I should say say it this way, we we have a better chance of getting it right. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I, I fear that sometimes um, our our desire to cling so tightly to what God was doing two thousand years ago prevents us from seeing what the Holy Spirit wants to do right now. Amen to that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I think, man, I think you're exactly right. And this um, this conversation has been so great. And I think uh, there's two there's two questions. Um, that, that I have uh, from listeners that I thought um, I could throw your way, Keith, um, to, to see what you think. The first one um, is, so basically, if things in the, the Bible can be wrong, um, and they have to be interpreted through the lens of Jesus, then why can we trust our Bibles? Is the Bible now just, it's not trustworthy? We can't know anything because everything in there is now... You know, who even knows if it's true? That kind of thing. That's that's the question they're getting at.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good question. Again, I think um, well, there's that's a that's a kind of a nuanced thing, isn't it? Um, yeah. I, so let me let me just say this, and I take time in the in, in the book, in Jesus Unbound, to to address at least this part of it that the gospels are extremely reliable. Yeah. We have, ex- we have all, all kinds of reason to trust that historically. That there was a guy named Jesus of Nazareth who actually existed, who walked this earth, who said the things that he said in the Sermon on the Mount, um, who was crucified on the Roman cross, who was who did rise from the dead three days later, um, who had disciples that went to their death because they were convinced that he was alive and that he was the Messiah. And so um, I think we can have great, great confidence in that at bare minimum. And so, again, if our goal is to start with Christ, then we can trust that the Christ we're trusting in um, is trustworthy and that what we know about him and the, and the words that he spoke and all those kinds of things are trustworthy. Mm. Again, when we, as we were saying, if you start with Christ and now you go back and read back into the Old Testament, you're going to read some things that are going to be remarkably Christ like. And you're going to go, oh my gosh, that, wow, this person, like David, Psalms 22 as an example, like, oh my gosh. Uh, that is a, such a beautiful picture of Jesus there or in Isaiah or, you know, different places. But at the same time, yes, sometimes you're going to read something that you go, know what, this person had a, w- was not seeing through the, in other the, the veil was covering their eyes. Yeah. They couldn't see who God really was. They were filtering their ideas of God through their culture, their ideas of what a God was and how to worship a God, you know, very primitive cultures and that kind of a thing. And so, yes, sometimes they may not have gotten it, exactly right but luckily we have jesus to help us see clearly so um i don't um i think again it is a shift in perspective yes um the funny thing is actually uh a a lot of jewish people a lot of hebrew uh, rabbis they understand that their own scriptures are dialogues they are (laughs) conversations that there are Disagreements. Hosea and Isaiah disagree with Moses about animal sacrifices, for example, and they're they're comfortable with that. That's not a problem for them. Um, they get it. They they in fact they they thrive on the idea that there are different perspectives of God and different ways of looking at different things. And they they want there to be a conversation. They want there to be a dialogue. They want to wrestle with it and think about it. And. And, and we should too. Unfortunately, again, because we're so addicted to knowing and information and being right, and then that means we have to have a Bible that is, again, flat and mm-hmm. everything has all together like a jigsaw puzzle perfectly. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, it probably, <laughs> if you look at it closely, it's really not going to ever do that for you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last one too, um, they said I could reword it any way that I see fit, but I think perhaps I'll just say it how they wrote it. (laughs) Um, but it seems to me it's, it's almost like a more of a philosophical question. Um, and I think also too, uh, and you'll pick up on this. I think there's some, um, like presuppositions being made. Like you can kind of see, um, where the question is coming from, like out of what understanding, uh, but this is from one of our listeners named Rachel. Uh, Rachel's actually a really good friend of mine. She's awesome. Um, and so here's, here's the question that she asks. She says, How would you respond to someone who said that your view on how to interpret Scripture makes too little of God and too much of man? Meaning that the idea that we can understand the thoughts or purposes of God is a fundamentally flawed concept on which, you seem, uh, which your premise is seemingly hung. Uh, we should trust God to be big enough, God, to get in what He wanted to into the Bible.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I don't. I don't disagree with that. I I think God. Um, I mean, it's not as if we're missing something, and there was something we didn't have. I mean, Jesus, I think, again, did complete the picture mm-hmm. that just hadn't come. In other words, like I happened to believe that Jesus coming made a difference. Yeah. In, in other words, we it was necessary for him to come. And if he didn't, we would be um, confused. We would have some darkness. We wouldn't clearly, clearly see who the father was, right? And so um so I think God did do what he wanted to do. And I think Jesus is what he wanted to say. Um but at the same time I, I can't I can't take credit at this this is actually a friend of mine, his name is Gabriel Gordon. Um he also does a I think he does a podcast called Misfit Theology. Okay. And he and I were talking about the same topic, and he had a great comment. I mean, a great, a great um, uh, realization, I guess. Or he said, "You know, Keith, if I wanted to know something about Abraham Lincoln, for example, he's dead. So the only <laughs> way I could find out Abraham Lincoln would be to just read maybe books about other people wrote. Maybe I could find a book of like someone published some of his journals or diaries. I could read his writing his own writing." Um, I could read history, like, you know, in certain situations, Abraham Lincoln said this or did that. And that's the only way I'm ever going to know Abraham Lincoln, because he's dead. But is Jesus dead? I mean, if Jesus is like Abraham Lincoln, then the only way I'll ever know anything about him is to read this book. Right. <laughs> so are we denying the resurrection if that's the way we approach Jesus? Yeah. Um, I, and I think he's that's so right? Like, and we've got to get away from this idea of, like, the book has all the answers. The book is the only way to know something. I mean, again, I'm grateful that we have these the scriptures. I, I, I'm so grateful for them. Um, but they only can take us so far. And um, so, again, I'm not exalting the wisdom of man at all. Like, it, it's, it has nothing to do. In fact, it, anything I know about Christ, honestly, is in <laughs> of the wisdom of man, right? And, again, I think it's something, like, when Paul says, this is something that transcends knowledge. It goes beyond knowledge. Um, it's only something that, with the with, it's only through the Holy Spirit that we could ever hope to truly know God and to really understand uh, who He is. Which again goes back to this abiding, um, which is a spiritual thing. It's not a. It's not study. It's not information. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not the question or not, but I mean, I, that's that would be kind of how I would initially respond to
0: that kind of thought.
1: That's a good that's a good answer.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, I think and I think really too it just fundamentally comes down to how we're looking at scripture. If you presuppose that the Bible is this inerrant book dropped out of heaven by God, which by the way, verbal inspiration, Keith correct me if I'm wrong, but this idea that God whispered in Paul's ear and then he wrote it down verbatim, the church has never taught that about what right. it means for the Bible to be inspired. Muslims right. teach that about the Quran and mormons mm-hmm. teach that about the book of mormon but christians has, have never spoken of the bible that way and so if we presuppose that then these kind of questions like oh well isn't um the stuff in there you know it's it's perfect because it's all inspired by god how can you pit them against each other say well god is working with and through his children and jesus is the ultimate revelation so again we had a like a like a, like a foggy mirror where we couldn't, or a window rather, where we're like looking outside and perhaps we can make out like a little rose bush or something. But then once we start to, you know, get up to that window and start wiping it off and clearing it out, we can see the whole picture. And I think Jesus is the one that cleans that mirror off for us. And like, because Jesus hadn't been revealed yet, um, the people who are writing pre-Jesus or, or pre-Christian, uh, as you say, I, I kind of like that phrase, um, They their window was still kind of fogged up and, and messy because they didn't have the ultimate revelation yet. So it's not that they were necessarily 100% wrong. It's just they didn't have the whole picture. And so they were mm-hmm. articulating their understanding with what they already had. Do you think that's a fair way to put it?
2: No, no, dude, that's exactly right. And I would also challenge Christians who may be listening to what we're saying and and struggling with some of what we're saying. I would ask you this question. If I were to sneak into your house tonight when you were asleep and take out every Bible out of your house, (laughs) you woke up the next morning, could you still hear God? Mm -hmm. Would you still be able to speak to you? And would you still be able to hear God? And gosh, I hope the answer is yes. Um, Yeah. but, I, but, but I'm going to tell you, I, I've asked Christians that question, and I've had some Christians with a straight face tell me that they couldn't, they, that God has never spoken to them, that they've never had an experience like that of God speaking to them or revealing something to them. Or And that is shocking to me. It's, just, it's yeah. sad. It's disappointing. And I think that, that is where you're at. If you could honestly say, yeah, Keith, uh, I've never— I've never had an experience of God outside of uh, the scriptures. Um, I would encourage you to keep searching, keep hmm. going, because what the yeah. scriptures encourage you is that you can and you should. Um, that's the intent. And um, again, for, you know, if you think about it this way too, for hundreds of years, no Christian had a Bible, had a New Testament.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yet the, that was during the time the church was probably the most explosively uh, evangelistic and just, you know, transformative of the culture and of the people around them, um, wow, how did they do that without a Bible? Well, they had the Holy Spirit. <laughs> they had an yeah. experience of Jesus that was real as their own heartbeat and was as relevant as, you know, the breath they, they were taking. And so absolutely it's possible for us to to have an experience of Christ. Uh, again, and I'm not saying this to say we don't need the Bible. Uh, again, yes, we do. It's beautiful. I'm so glad we have it. But... Without it, according to the Bible, you can still have an experience of Christ, and that's actually what you should do. Man. Yeah. Amen. Well, and I, I think
1: there's also, there's been other times in history where um, people haven't had us, you know the scriptures to read through i mean i or i just think of like you know nations where you know christianity is forbidden and owning a bible is forbidden um yep. and I've, i remember someone telling me it was i think when I was, I was i was at some conference and there was a missionary there and he was sharing that um a group of people that in some country where scripture was forbidden um each one of them had memorized a portion of scripture yeah uh, and because they didn't have a Bible to look through at all, they, they, no one had one. So they were they had one copy, and so they had gone through it, and they auto memorized it. And then what they were doing, they were teaching their kids, as their kids were growing up to learn and memorize the same portion, so that in the event that someone died or was captured or murdered or something like that, the scripture could live on. But if, if you know, it would be a big blow to that community if someone lost, if, they, if they lost somebody. Um, but what the man said was, so many of you people in America and in the Western world have more than one Bible in your own home for you know four or five people, and yet you never open it. Ever. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and so to me, I think we are, when we are saying to ourselves that we can't hear the Word of God unless we have a Bible like you used that example, I think many of those people that would answer that maybe aren't actually really even ever opening their Bible right. and really aren't even actually, actually ever reading their Bible. So the reason they're not having that experience with the Holy Spirit is because they're not spending time with God. <laughs> they're not spending time in the Word at all. Um, yeah. and. It's not to say that simply opening it will do something for you, but I think the opposite will happen when you turn and cling to Jesus. Like I was saying earlier, it will lead you to want to open the Bible, Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean— you know, too many people say. You know, like I've had friends. One of my one of my greatest friends. Uh, he's not a Christian. He's agnostic uh, by his own definition. You know, kind of believes there's something, but he wouldn't. He would definitely not. You know, attest anything. He what he said before is I really like uh, Christian morals and I like the way that the like Christianity. The people that are true Christians treat each other. Uh, but like I don't know about any of the other stuff. You know, he's very analytical, scientific. He's an engineer, and so that's really kind of his thing. Um, and so that, that's says hang-up, uh, but he says, I've read the Bible three or four different times from start to finish. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you hear these stories of people that, you know, like, I mean, someone, you know, um, Lee Strobel, like, went out to disprove the Bible and read the Bible and was transformed by that instead. You know, but then here's my... In the other case, my friend who's read it multiple times with an analytical mind, his mind isn't open to understanding what Jesus is saying in there and how okay. Jesus is pointing towards that. And so I think that you know the, the scriptures are extremely powerful and very beneficial for all of us in so many ways. But I think we have to be in a place where we are willing to listen and hear what God wants to say to us through those scriptures no more than we are willing to say God spoke to me through the letter that came in the mail today or God spoke to me uh through that phone call with my coworker that I just had um Mm -hmm. or whatever you know it's not I'm not saying that the scriptures are as low as you know you know some you know Jay-Z song that you hear on the radio (laughs) but but I think (laughs) but I think I think the words that we read and the way that we interpret them all all completely are contingent on what our lens is we are reading them through like Josh is saying so if our yeah. lens is we are reading them through a scientific place we can read about the resurrection over and over and over again and never see the 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 absolute holy spirit divine power that interceded in that spot right but if we are reading that from a, from a position of wanting relationship with Jesus, I, I think we see it differently. So.
2: Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I, 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 t- I totally agree with you. And I think um, if you just read it as a book or as a textbook, you're not going to get um, the same thing from it if you're reading it, uh, again, through the Lord of Christ or through the, through the Holy Spirit. And, and I also agree with you what you said. I, I think you're exactly right. Um, I think a lot of people that I end up debating about this kind of issue, to be honest— they're very biblical, uh, biblically illiterate. Like, they really don't read the Bible. and That's yeah. a problem. Um, but if I also, I was thinking of the quote, uh, and I, I I quote this in the book, uh, it's from Harper Lee, and it's from the book To Kill a Convert, M- <laughs> And she said, sometimes the Bible in the hands of one man is worse than a whiskey bottle in the hands of another. Right. Um, and maybe think of that, what you were saying, like, yeah, I mean, again, because the Bible itself, it's not a magic book. It's not like, you just open it and ding things happen that's not what we're t- that's not what it how it works right but, but it can point you to someone who has a transformative power that can transform your life that mm-hmm. can know god in a, in a very powerful way and so again that's, yeah. that's what I hope is i want people to discover that that is really how we should approach the scripture it's a menu pointing us to a meal it's a map pointing us to a treasure that we were intended to know and experience
1: yeah, I'll just say this one last thing, Josh, before we finish up. This is something that I just thought of right now. Um, you know, as as my wife and I have been working through this and I've been reading through Ephesians, it's kind of where I've just been and just really what it has helped. And there was a portion of Ephesians that I had underlined months ago that didn't have any application whatsoever uh, to my moment and to kind of what I'm doing. Um, but where the pen had bled through to the other side of the page really did apply. And the underline wasn't even like faded or kind of not really there, but it was very clear. Uh, And it wasn't like I had to kind of make, you know, I had to kind of like jump and make a leap to like say, Oh, well, if I, if I just read the rest of that sentence, even though it's not really underlined, that will kind of give me more. Like it was very clearly divinely inspired that the pen had bled through to this other page um, to, to have, to just, to really speak into what God needed me to do in this moment right now. Now, that's where like you're talking about where the word comes alive in us, instead of it being this thing where, you know, I read the words that were on the page and the underlines that I had before it didn't make any sense. I mean, it didn't matter to what was going on right now at all. But what was underlined on the other side, and I never would have noticed it. If I hadn't been looking in in the word and open in my heart, ready and willing to receive what God wanted to show me in that moment. So just there's ways that I think that God uses the scriptures in different ways to inspire us. But I don't necessarily think it's always just the, you know, the Southern Baptist Convention approved way that that John (laughs) MacArthur tells us is we the way we ought to read the Bible uh, and the little study note on the bottom.
0: (laughs) No, that's so good. I, and if, if I'm allowed to have a turn, I want to share a story with you real quick, Keith, that I think you'll, of course I, you are. I, I, come on, man. Yeah, I am wa- yeah, <laughs> no I have a story. I don't
1: normally share this much, Keith. That That's, that's why he's saying that a lot of times I don't really, sometimes I do, but I'm, I don't know. I've, I've been silent as of late, not this week. No, it's so. all
0: good. It's, it's all good. I think conversation's great. And, um, I just, you know, Keith, again, thank you so much for your time. It's been awesome. Um, But a story that I think you might find interesting, um, especially when you were talking about this idea of reading your Bible, not reading your Bible. Uh, I have a very good friend of mine. Um, I'll leave their name out of it just uh, for now. Uh, But they um, have a doctorate. They have a Ph.D. in Old Testament studies. Uh, They were um, ordained within the Baptist church, Um, was a Baptist pastor for many, many years. Um, They grew up in a more uh, reformed kind of tradition. Um, although now they wouldn't, uh, use that label for themselves. However, uh, recently, uh, within the last year, they made a move across the country and took a position, um, at a Presbyterian church. And, uh, I don't know how much you know about the Presbyterians, but like you have to be ordained within their system through the Presbytery. Um, and so they put you through all this testing and, uh, my friend ended up failing, their test um, wow. mainly because uh, he denied a historical Adam and Eve. Um, he just said, that's not what Genesis is trying to communicate. Um, right. Now, again, he's an old Testament expert. Like this guy's brilliant. Uh, mm-hmm. But when he talked to his buddy, who is a professor at Westminster theological seminary, he told Jace, Oh, I just said my friend's name. Dang it. He told my, <laughs> whatever. All right. No one knows who he is. He, they told my friend, <laughs> Actually, that's not true because there's going to be an episode that comes out before this with him on it anyway. They want to cut it. Yeah, we might want to (laughs) cut that part. But they told my friend that the reason he cannot be ordained in that church is because he's not going to stop reading his Bible.
2: Oh, wow! that's what
0: a professor from Westminster Theological Seminary told him. He said, you will never be able to be ordained there because you read your Bible. Um, And these people are so hung up. On a like a catechism, basically that was written in the sixteen hundreds or yeah. ha- whenever it was written that they allowed to inform how they read the Bible or don't. Um, and that's, you know, that's why you're never going to be able to to be a pastor. i th- I thought that was like, really interesting
2: no well, but, but here, like I mean I'm not shocked by that. It's shocking sometimes to hear someone actually just say that out loud, <laughs> but, uh, especially
0: from <laughs> Westminster Theological Seminary.
2: Right, but I mean, look. I mean, um, religions and denominations, especially, they exist, and, and and this is true of any institution, religious or otherwise. Um, institutions exist to keep themselves existing, right? They exist to perpetuate themselves, mm. and so uh, that means you can't be open to new ideas. You can't. You can't continue to be. In fact, if you ever study um, the evolution of a movement, um, again, whether that's religious or or Um, in the beginning of a movement, you you usually have a founder who has some great uh, revolutionary ideas and and people start gathering around that. But in the beginning of the movement, it's undefined. Like they don't even know what this is about, right? They're just open to, oh, there's this and there's that. Oh my gosh. And that's all this excitement is generating uh, all this energy and all these people are coming to it because it's new and it's different and it's exciting and it's undefined. And we don't know what this is yet. We don't know where this could go. And this is part of the the excitement of it. And, um, but very, 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 very quickly, unfortunately, with most movements, um, those movements start to define themselves by, well, we're this, but we're not that. And once you start doing that, it's a very short leap to, um, now you're closed to any new ideas. You're not open to new ideas anymore. Um, You've decided what this thing is and what it isn't. And now you're, again, so it's like, nope, we're done now. I don't want to hear new ideas. You have a new idea, new revelation? Nope, sorry, that's not who we are. That's not what we're about. And, and so when you have Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, of course, they all have their very specific ideas about what this thing is and what this thing isn't. And they're not going to be open, unfortunately, to someone coming in and going, you know, I, I learned something new. I have new perspective on this or that. Well, then you can hit the road, buddy, because <laughs> that's not what we're about. Right. Uh, and, and that's I think that's the problem with these sort of, you know, with uh, institutional Uh, ideas that we're not we're not still learning in other words and and the the danger is and i would say this is true for individual christians as well um we have to i believe we have to get back to um being comfortable with questions yeah jesus Jesus was comfortable with unanswered questions we're not but we need to be more like jesus we need to be we need to actually love questions we need to embrace mystery we need to admit we don't have it all figured yeah, we need to admit I could be wrong about lots of things, and it, because it isn't about being right. Again, it's not about information; it's about transformation. And and I would love to see us get back to this place of um, embracing some mystery, uh, being comfortable with some questions, and wrestling with some things. I mean, I think that's how you—that's how we're engaged. Again, because because we said earlier about formulas. Um, man, denominational churches are kind of formulaic, right? Yeah. So that's not a good thing.
0: absolutely man well uh keith thank you so much again for your time thank you for all the the work and effort uh you have put into you know this book jesus unbound um and for our listeners be sure to go ahead and and pick up a copy of that uh off of amazon um we'll be sure to link it in the show notes uh but also keith can you just uh tell our listeners where else can people find you where can uh, people go to find keith giles
2: uh, yeah, so I'm I blog on Pathios. It's just you can find it by my name. It's just keepgiles dot scom dot com. And I'm um, on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. You can find me there, and I'm pretty uh, responsive. So um, yeah, those are the best places to find me. And I also do a podcast called the Heritage Happy Hour. Uh, and you can go to hour dot com and and listen to uh, some of those those episodes. And it's I, I will say about the podcast, it's not for everyone. Hmm. So, um, warning you: <laughs> if, if it offends you, uh, you don't like it, then that's fine. You know, my parents still <laughs> yeah. listen to it; that's a good thing. So, um, but yeah, you know, those are those are some places you can uh, kind of follow. Uh, and um, my books are on Amazon. Um, Jesus Unbound is on print, e, Kindle, ebook, and audiobook. So, right, Nothing's awesome.
0: About. Well, thank you, Keith, so much. We'll have to uh, we'll have to connect, and uh, w- maybe we can uh, record an episode about. Jesus Undefeated, because I think that's super intriguing.
2: Yeah, that would be fun. I'd love to do that.
0: All right, man. Well, uh, thank you again so much for your time. And uh, listeners, as far as you guys go, uh, thanks for hanging out with us today. And as always, you can follow us on uh, Instagram. um, And also, we have a discussion group there on Facebook. If you just search Theology Doesn't Suck Discussion Group, uh, we'd love to have you um, there to come join the conversation. And uh, as always, go Caps
1: go blackhawks but also recognizing that sports are a construct and we don't need to worry about them
0: (laughs) (laughs) peace and love guys